Thank you for being here. Did you enjoy the man band? Amen. Got all those ladies up on the mountain, but we got some ladies here, so the beauty index didn't drop too far. I was worried the beauty index was going to fall through the floor this morning, but man, those guys, that was, I love that sound, man. That was great. I'm three times a day, and uh, I can't get over it any time. It's great to see you this morning. Thanks to all of you who are watching online, and uh, we do have a, uh, a host of ladies up at, on the mountain, and they made it through by the grace of God. And uh, no one, uh, no, they, well, the only ones that lost power are the ladies that were too good to stay on the campground and went down and paid big money to stay at a fancy lodge. The lodge lost power. <laughs> so it came back on, but uh, it's, it's all good. It's great to see you this morning. Turn in your Bibles, or you can follow on the screen to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to uh, share some thoughts that have been on my heart uh, for some time. I've been pondering these thoughts since the summer, uh, a few of these thoughts, and I began to work on these. We weren't sure, obviously, leading up to this weekend, uh, we, we had all the weather issues, and, and we want to continue to pray for, by the way, our, our, our friends and neighbors in South Carolina and North Carolina that are really going through it, and it sounds like we, should, we could get some some uh, interesting stuff over the next couple of days if the rain comes as they think it might. But I want to pray for them. But um, I've been thinking about this weekend, and, and, and when you have 100, or it was going to be considerably more than that uh, originally, ladies gone, we were going to kind of focus it around, uh, around men conversation. But uh, that shifted, and, and uh, the Lord has kind of shifted my thoughts. But I want us to, to just sort of lay this down as, as a foundation, and that is that God is calling us at Eastlake to, to raise up an army of dynamic, multiplying disciples. And we're talking about that in the book of Ephesians on Wednesday nights, by the way. If, you're not, if you haven't been in on that, um, I, we invite you to come. It's amazing. They did tell me Wednesday night that they set the last chair and the last table up, and everybody that came after that had to go join the choir. <laughs> But uh, that's a good problem to have, and we're gonna, we'll fix that this week and make more room. But uh, we're, we really have no interest in, in, in mediocre, nominal Christianity. I'm not even sure there is such a thing, but there is. The practical side of it, there is. And so, so we really are, are passionate about doing what, everything that God has for us. And, and so I want to just project something to you today um, from the youngest person in this room to the oldest person in this room, and I'll make neither one of you identify yourselves. I have ideas on both, but I'm not going to surmise. But from the youngest person in this room to the oldest person in this room, it is our belief and anticipation that God will make you into a dynamic instrument for the sake of the kingdom of God. So we, uh, we don't fancy ourselves, and I don't want to get sidetracked into my Connects class, but we don't, we don't fancy ourselves into just being a performance-based church that we hire people to come up here and perform, and they're the only ones that know how to do ministry. We actually think that's, if you ever come to Connects or have, you'll know how I, my perspective on that. That's sort of the lowest level of ministry. The highest level of ministry is when every person at all times to everyone, lives out the powerful truth of the gospel. And we call that viral Christianity. And so, so 
I, I know that this morning I've got my responsibilities for the next hour and 20 minutes. I was just making sure you were listening. I know I've got my responsibilities this morning, but ultimately, this is not about Troy doing his thing and Ben doing his thing. This is about all of us being raised up through the power of the Holy Spirit, under the leadership of the Word of God, under the anointing of God, to do a mighty work for God in this world. And this morning, I want us to look at the story. I've entitled this, When God Finds a Leader. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, it actually comes... As you know, or as you may know, it's the chapter preceding the most famous chapter in the Old Testament, at least, and that is the story of David and Goliath, but we're going to back up and read the chapter, a few verses in the chapter before that. Found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, and I promise it won't take this long to read the whole scripture, but let me explain. Samuel was the spiritual, spiritual leader in the nation of Israel. And he had been, since 10 years of age, been in the ministry, essentially. And he had become the prophet in Israel. And 27 years before this, he had anointed Saul to be king over Israel. And that was sort of reluctance on God's part. And God said, you really don't need a king. I'm your king. You got Samuel. And everybody said, we want a king like everybody else has a king. And so God gave him a king 27 years before this verse. And... And Samuel's this spiritual overseer. He's an older man now. And, 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 and he's going to anoint King David as the, as the soon-to-be king here in a few verses. So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. And I want you to remember that phrase. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go and anoint another king? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. We will have a constitutional crisis. Samuel was the leader from God's authority. He was the prophet. They had anointed Saul as the king, so Saul was the king over the earth stuff, and Samuel was number one in God's eyes, and God said, you go anoint another king, and you got a king over here, and Samuel says, Lord, if I do this, this dude is in charge of the earth, he can kill me. Samuel was rightfully afraid. How, how, isn't that sort of a, a continuing theme through the Old Testament for the prophets? Every prophet's like, Lord, I'll say a lot of stuff, but I don't want to say that. You know, I'll preach this, but I don't want to preach that. It seems to be a repetitive theme. So I promise I'm going to hurry. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. In other words, just say, I'm going to have normal church. I'm going to go have a normal church service in Bethlehem. And while I'm there, I'm going to find a king. Now, normal church for us doesn't say take a heifer with you, but for them it did. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Because when the prophet showed up in your town, all of his, not all of his messages were seeker sensitive. 
And sometime when the prophet showed up, he said things that were, said things that were offensive and, and, and quite judgmental. He said, the Lord said, repent, or we're going to burn this place to the ground. And stuff like that. I mean, just read the book of Jeremiah. And they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, they came to the normal church service so that Saul would not know that he was there to pick a king. And when they get to the normal church service, it's a normal church service, but Samuel has one thing on the brain. And the thing he knows, I'm here to pick a king. And he sees Jesse and his sons. And immediately, when they came, he looked on Eliab, Jesse's son, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me, or it was before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, not in a spiritual sense, but in this role as king. For the Lord sees not as man sees. And this verse, or this phrase, we can all quote, right? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And how many of us as children wanted to wear something to church and our parents wouldn't let us and we thought, Mom, Dad, the Lord looks on my heart. You're looking on my outward appearance. (laughs) My dad would probably say something, and so does everybody else, and they're the ones that matter right now, so get you, get you some clothes on. But anyways, so Jesse called after Eliab, Jesse called Abinadab, and he paraded Abinadab before Samuel. And Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons parade before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. I'm glad that Samuel was listening to the Lord, right? Because there would have been a thought that said, the Lord told me one of sons of Jesse, and as far as Samuel knew, these were all the sons of Jesse, and if it had been some of us and probably me, I'd have said, well, I got to pick one of them. Well, let's go with him. But Samuel was listening to the Lord, and he said, no, no, it's none of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, well, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was, David, ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And there's the story. Actually, there's the introduction to King David. Many great prophets and leaders in the Old Testament, we find the story about their birth. We find where they were born and what their father did, and we find details in the year of this or that that they were born. We don't have that about King David. Actually, the only thing we know about David's infancy is what he tells us in Psalm 51. He said, I was born in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And that's the only thing we know about his infancy. He was born a sinner as, all, as we all are. But David, in this, in this interesting place and time, makes his appearance into our, into our world or into the Scripture, and we begin to understand and begin to see him. And it comes in the context of God needing to raise someone up to do some wonderful, powerful, important task. 
And let me just reiterate what I said a few moments ago. This message is not for anyone here that's thinking about becoming a pastor or not just for someone who's thinking about going on a short-term mission trip or not just for someone who may be doing some task here at the church. This message is for every single person regardless of how old or how young you might be here this morning. God has a special task. And God, listen, listen, listen. God needs you to be raised up to work for him. Let me talk about God raising up leaders and spiritual leaders. God raises up, looking rather, God is looking for leaders in times of crisis. This was a, this was, I, meant, I alluded to it when I was reading the scripture, but this was a time in a very important time in the history of Israel. As I told you, they had, a, they had demanded a king 27 years prior. They had chosen Saul. They had the king's coronation. It was a big deal. Saul was king for 27 years. But they had come to this point where truly it was a constitutional crisis. The way that kings rose and were removed was not ordinarily in the manner that God was getting ready to do it. But you see the crisis that they had in Israel was that the king that they had anointed was a man who was full of self. He was self-centered and he was fleshly and he was self-reliant and totally dependent and he thought he was capable. As a matter of fact, Saul was a man who was not inclined to follow the Lord. But rather he was a self-centered leader. He was anointed in chapter 10 as king of 1 Samuel. And by chapter 13 he is disobeying the Lord and disrespecting the prophet. Doing and taking things into his own hands. As you know that story when there was a sacrifice to be made. And Samuel was authorized to make the sacrifice. And Samuel delayed in coming. And and Saul waited and waited and waited. And the people were there. And the scripture says that Saul was handsome. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was everyone's natural pick to be king. He had a lot of personal skills and ability and charisma. And Saul's not, Samuel's not here. And the people are here. And we need to have a sacrifice. And Saul said, I can handle this. And the king, the problem, the problem with Israel, the crisis they were in, was that the king was no longer following the Lord. And it had gotten so bad that in chapter 15, and in verse, chapter 15, in verse 10, God says to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. At the end of chapter 15, just prior to where we picked up, God again declares his regret over Saul, and he says, I'm going to remove Saul. And now you have Samuel, this godly man, this man of God who is wearing the, bearing the weight of all of this for the country. You've got this king who's out of control, who's rebelling against God, and God said, I'm taking him down. Samuel knew that he would be responsible in that. He had raised him up, actually, and so Samuel is grieving over it, and we begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 16, and God said to him, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? How long are you going to worry about this? But Samuel was, was, was 
wearing and bearing the weight of the crisis that was going on in Israel. And whenever there's a crisis, God needs leaders. Do do I need to spend much time here this morning convincing you that we have a crisis in our culture and in our world? Is that one pretty much self-evident? Do I need to to tell you, I'm going to name drop this morning, thanks to strategic renewal, a week or so ago, I was invited to be on on a Zoom call. And there was like eight or nine pastors on this Zoom call. And also on that Zoom call was Ravi Zacharias. And I actually got to meet him, if you can consider meeting on a Zoom computer. I remember his name, and I'm sure he remembers mine. So, <laughs> But he made a statement in that Zoom call, and this is what he said. We're living in a world without a map, without a compass, and without a leader. We have no map. We have no compass. And we have no leader. We've said there are no rules. We've said there are no standards. We've said there are no boundaries. And morally and spiritually, we're living in a world without a map, without a compass, and without a leader. This is the world we live in. We live in moments in crisis. And we can just go along and get along and do our little thing and live in our little obscure places. And, or we can say, oh God, here I am. Will you use me To do something in the midst of this crisis. Do I need to convince us this morning. That in the church world. We have a crisis. When they tell us that hundreds of pastors. Leave the ministry every month. When I hear everything from the petty ridiculous. Stupidity that goes on in churches. Political meanderings and. The petty stupidity, it just boggles my mind. And then you hear about the large-scale corruption that's going on. And then you hear about individuals who we've all learned from and trusted in. And you hear that there's deep-seated depravity that's been going on willfully and habitually for maybe decades. And I'm not throwing anybody under the bus this morning. I'm just saying this is, these, are the rea- these are the facts You know what God is saying? God is saying to Eastlake, and God is saying to you, and God is saying to me, fill your horn with oil and go. You got a crisis in your family? There's brokenness in your family? There's big problems in your family? You know what the Lord is saying this morning? All right, Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. What are you doing with a horn of oil? You're going to go anoint someone to be a leader in the midst of this crisis. You know, I look over here at these young people singing up here. And you'd just be glad I don't have a horn full of oil this morning, guys. Because I'd have run right over here and poured it on your head. Somebody says, Pastor Troy, what are you doing getting involved in Smith Mount Lake Christian Academy? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm filling my horn with oil. I'm filling my horn with oil. What are you doing... Planting churches and sending pastors. We got these good pastors. Why would we send them off somewhere else? Well, I think that's a great question and makes good rationale. But I'll tell you why we're doing it. We're doing it because God said we have a crisis and we need to fill our horn with oil. Samuel, fill your horn with oil and go. 
What am I doing, Lord? You're going to go, and you're going to do what I tell you, and you're going to find people, and you're going to anoint them to be leaders in the midst of darkness. And you want to know what Eastlake's ultimate goal is? It is ultimate, its ultimate goal is to pour oil over everybody that walks in here and anoint them to be used of God in this dark and sinful world. This crisis is real for Samuel who is grieving over Saul. It's real for Saul because he doesn't know what's about to hit him. Samuel is experiencing incredible fear over his own life. Because he, if he goes and anoints David. But David, God said, it's alright. You filled your horn with oil. There's a crisis of spiritual leadership in our world and in our churches and in our homes. And God is looking once again for men and women who He can find and use in exceptional ways. Can I just for a moment say this to the men that are here as a, as a, as a word for the men? God is calling us to raise up at Eastlake a mighty army of fathers and husbands and sons who are mighty for the sake of the kingdom of God and who will push back against the prevailing winds of decay in our world. We have, we have created... We have created, there's perceptions that have been created. And I thank God for Eastlake and the godly men who influence me every day. And, and, and this, that's why this is such an exciting thing to see all these guys up here just freely worshiping the Lord. But sometimes in the church world, worship and serving the Lord and being obedient and being faithful and humble and praying, that's sort of a feminine thing. And, and macho, masculine guys, that's something antithetical to that. Well, I got news for you. David was a macho, masculine guy. He could kill a bear with his bare hands. He could punch a, he could punch a lion in the face. He could kill a giant. And he could play a harp. The original metrosexual. If you don't know what that is, it's not bad. It's just a guy who knows how to kill a deer and fix it in a mean cuisine, okay? It's just, David, no, I'm serious. You, we, we, we've, we've, we've created this idea that somehow to be godly and holy and pure and humble and serve a servant is somehow not masculine. No, I got news for you. I pray God will raise up a mighty army of men, both young and old, who love the NFL and hate the cheerleaders. Amen? Amen. That's a good preaching if I'm the one doing it right there. Oh, no, a man's going to do what a man's going to do. No, a man's going to do what a man's going to do unless the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him, and then the man's going to do what the Holy Spirit wants a man to do. Amen? And this is, this is, what do you say? Well, we can keep going along and kneel along and everybody's doing it and everybody's this. Or we can stand up and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to be a light in the midst of darkness and I'm going to do the will of God. And I'm going to be unafraid to do it. And I'm going to be unashamed to do it. Oh God, see we've got this crisis and God is calling us much like he called Ezekiel. The people of the land have used oppression, he said in Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-nine, They've committed robbery and mistreated the poor and they wrongly oppressed the stranger. So I have sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. God is looking for men and women who will stand up and say, God, I will be unafraid to be different for the sake of the glory of God and the preservation of this world in which I live. Oh God, we've got a crisis. And God, call, God is always looking for leaders. God is looking for leaders according to His own criteria. 
his own criteria. Samuel arrives in town. The elders of the city meet him, are frightened. Samuel does as the Lord has instructed and calls together a church service. And all the while, while people are walking in, Samuel's doing what Samuel was supposed to be doing. He's looking for a king. The only problem is this godly, wonderful man, Samuel, was just that, a man. And Samuel was using a measuring stick to measure who would be the king. He was using a human measure stick, measuring stick. So he was looking who's smart, who's tall, who's handsome, who's got the charisma, who's got it together. He was using all of the matrix that are external. And immediately Samuel said, Eliab is the guy. Now Eliab, I'm sure Eliab is a, a, a great dude and I'm, I, he's probably taken a bad rap. But, but the point is, that wasn't God's man. Samuel, it wasn't because Eliab was wicked and evil. It was Samuel's problem was that he was making decisions based on external realities. And God said, no Samuel, I have another criteria. We're going to raise up. This, folks, I want to tell you something. This ought to encourage everybody here this morning. I thank God for the amazing, exceptional, accomplished people that we have at Eastlake. And I've got a saying, and I say it all the time, the artillery. about God. You can tell what God's going to do by the artillery he rolls up. And I mean that, because I am just a peon in the Lord's army. But this is a good news. You don't have to graduate from Harvard to be mighty in the kingdom of God. Amen. You see, God said, I got a measuring, st- another criteria. Here's my, cr- you guys look, you guys say, what does man say is good? And I'm telling you right now, this is God's criteria. I'll tell you who I'll use to make a massive difference in the kingdom of God. It's that person whose criteria is met on the inside. It's a spiritual, it's a character, it's, 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 it's an internal criteria, not an external criteria. So you say, well, I don't know if I could be mighty because... I didn't do this, or I didn't graduate from here, or I don't have this kind of education. All of those things are insignificant at the base level. What is really significant is, is your heart wholly devoted to Jesus? God can do more. God can do more with one person who is wholly devoted to Jesus. God can do more with one person that is wholly devoted to Jesus than he can do with a person with a Ph.D. from Princeton who is full of self. My, my father is here this morning and his mother had a third grade education and lived in the mountains of West Virginia and barely got out of there. I remember they came to Indiana a few times and they thought they were on a missions trip. Third grade education, listening to the radio, heard the gospel, responded to the gospel. God transformed her life from the inside out. And she began whispering in the ear of a little boy about how much Jesus loved him and how Jesus had died for him. And that little boy was my dad who received the gospel. And he's preached in 38 states because a little lady with a third grade education was letting God use her to make an impact in the kingdom. He's preached in 38 countries, excuse me. He's probably preached in all 50 states. All because a little lady with a third grade education said Lord I will let you use me amen this is, this is the criteria I'm not opposed to education I'm impressed with it and I like it and I wish I had more of it I'm not opposed to credentials I'm not but th- those are not God's standards God says man looks on the outward but I look in the heart God says you all used your method last time and got Saul this time we're going to use my method 
When you just looked at his outward appearance, Saul was amazing looking dude. He was sharp and everything about him. And God said, no, 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 no. You used your criteria 27 years ago and it got you a dud. Let's use my criteria this time and see if we can get a real king. Amen. This is good news because it doesn't matter in what obscurity or what shadows you may think you are operating in. God knows where you are. And if your heart is surrendered to God, he can use you in a powerful way. God does not look at exploits, ego, or credentials. He looks at character. God's call is not to significance. Listen, God's call is not to significance, but to surrender. And it is in surrender that significance is found. God is looking for men and women of character and devotion. God can do more with one teachable, devoted individual who spent most of their time keeping sheep than he can with one who feels they are more important. This is great encouragement and should be to us all. We may feel insignificant, obscure, unqualified, but we must know that the ones that God wants to use are those whose heart is right with Him. God is concerned about internal qualifications. Let me close with this thought. God always confirms His calling on those He identifies. He always confirms His calling. God confirmed His calling in David's life in two ways. Number one, he found him. He identified him. Can I just tell you this morning, if you're wrestling with purpose and meaning and insignificance, can I just tell you this morning, God knows where you are. Amen. God can find you. It's not, it's not uncommon for men and women of God who are anxious and excited about doing the work of the Lord to, to, to feel, feel lost and, and, and on the shelf and in the shadows. And David's probably sitting out there with his sheep thinking, man, my brothers are in there getting looked at for, their, for the possible kingship and, and, and nobody knows I'm here. And I'll bet I could be a pretty good king. I did kill that bear in that lion one time. But David just trusted the Lord and stayed faithful to God. And God identified him. God will find you. And those whom God confirms, he confirms by finding us. And he confirms by authenticating us. He gave David the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he gave him the power to kill Goliath. And said, you know what? Here's my confirmation. You've got the presence of the Holy Spirit was upon him. And here's my confirmation. You're going to go down here in the next chapter and you're going to kill Goliath. And it wasn't David in his own strength. It was God saying, I'm authenticating this man to be used of me. Let me just give you something real quick. Just back up cue for just a second. I think there are three pathways to significance. And I want to just give these to you because they're important. Number one, there's, there is the person who identifies themselves. And that's the person like Saul, who prom- they're the self-promoter. I can be significant. I don't need Samuel. Samuel's not here. No big deal. I can do his job. I'm good. I can do it. Anybody here know anybody that self-promotes? Isn't that, isn't that, a, isn't that a, kind of a sickening thing? I like the New Testament parable that says don't put yourself at the head of the table just sit at the bottom of the table and let the one that let the head of the house or let God elevate you right we 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 don't need to self-promote that's Saul there's an event an individual who identifies themselves secondly there's the individual who is identified by others 
And sometimes you can't help that. But Samuel and Jesse said, oh, Eliab must be the man. And, and sometimes people promote themselves. Can I just tell you that? Those who self-promote always self-destruct. Those who self-promote always Eventually, give them a year, give them a decade, give them 25 years, they will self-destruct. There are those who, people, oh man, you, you can do this. You know, someone said that, uh, what's the saying about the ministry, Dad? Your, your mama called and grandpa sent or something like that. You know, where families say, you need to do this and you need, no, no, no. We need to let God choose, right? Because that's, that's David, that is the individual who God identifies. David, he was doing what he knew to do and God found him. Saul promoted himself. He destructed. Samuel and Jesse gathered around Eliab and said, oh, this is the man. And there was no way humanly possible for David to ever become king. He was off in the shadows, but God found him. And God will find you. You say, my life of insignificance or my children are small and here I am. Just No, no, you just be faithful. God will find you. Let me close. Let me give you these these simple thoughts on, on becoming a powerful spiritual leader. How an ordinary person becomes a powerful leader. Very, very, very simply, number one, don't promote yourself. Don't promote yourself. Don't elbow your way to the front. Just let God. Just let God. David didn't scream, hey, what about me? No, David just did his job. Number two, take real good care of the sheep. There's a biblical principle that we're going to experience right at the end of the day, right right at the end of our life when we stand before God. And this is the biblical principle. You have been faithful over a few things. Therefore, I'm going to make you ruler over many. That's not just an end of the world principle. That's an everyday principle for the Christian. You see, David was faithful. He was off in the shadows worshiping God and taking care of sheep. And his faithfulness in the shadows is what made God know he could trust him on the throne. Amen? Just be faithful. Don't, don't abandon the sheep. Just whatever task God has given you today. You might be raising a one-year-old baby or a two-year-old or four kids. Or you might be raising your grandkids. Just be faithful with the things that God has given you to do. Just be faithful. Thirdly, let God form your character. Let God form and shape your character. I like to, I have a lot of goals, and I want to see this happen, and this happen, and this happen, and this happen. And I have some aspiration and ambition in my own heart, believe it or not. And usually what I find out is the distance between me and the, 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 the completion of this ambition or aspiration, the distance is nothing more than God's work in my life to bring me to the place to be able to do that. David got there pretty quick. He was 15. The Lord said, you're good. Way to go, David. (laughs) Sometimes, for me, it's not that quick. But allow God to do the work in you that he wants to do so that he can use you. And finally, don't run from giants. Don't run from giants. The very next chapter, you know that story well. David goes down with some Cheetos and potato chips for his brothers at war. And these big, handsome, awesome, muscular, masculine brothers that Samuel and Jesse said, these boys can be king. They were hiding under the teepee. 
And David wasn't, you see, David didn't go after Goliath because he was born with an extra gene that made him courageous. No, it all goes back to verse 13. And the Holy Spirit was upon David. And when the Holy Spirit, listen, all of our lives are filled with giants. This world is filled with giants. Spiritual leaders aren't sweet and passive and pushovers and unafraid. No, spiritual leaders will punch a giant right in the face. In the power of God, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the essence of this point is this. Don't be afraid in the power of God to confront the challenges that are before you. Because spiritual leaders and big influencers aren't afraid to say, we can do that by God's help. Amen. Don't run from giants. So Jesus, we come to the close of this service with a sense of, uh, with just a sense of hunger amongst us as a people to say, Lord, will you, will you do that in me? Lord, will you do that in me, I pray. And Lord, I know our, my friends here this morning are hungering too for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in their life. Lord, I pray for that one who feels alone and feels disregarded maybe, feels insignificant. And Lord, I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, you would assure them this morning that you know exactly where they are. And that in your time and in your way and in your place, you're going to use them for your glory. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just stir us all to deeper devotion. Lord, greater commitment in the world in which we live that needs it so desperately. That Eastlake would not be 700 people to come to church here on Sunday, but it would be 700 men and women who are on fire for the glory and the purpose of God in this world, we pray. Lord, this is our prayer. This is our heart's desire. And Lord, would you let it be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at Eastlake SML. Thanks for joining us.